0: Alright, how are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Luke 15 is where we'll be this morning. Luke uh, 15. Uh, before we kind of jump in and get get going this morning, a couple, couple things just want to bring before you uh, and just let you know to kind of be, be praying for. Uh, remember Leroy Searcy, he's one of our trustees. He had surgery this past week uh, on his neck to have some things done there. Uh, recovering well, still so just in a little bit of pain, but be, be praying for him. Um, also, don't forget, uh, summer... Uh, her uh, father passed away this week as well, so be praying for her, and then uh, Seth, another one of our trustees, uh, him and his wife, well, his wife had their baby uh, boy, um, and so he is healthy, Ryder uh, is healthy, and they are at home uh, resting and, and enjoying that little little guy there, uh, and I think from what I hear, we need to pray for the baby sister, uh, I think she's like two and a half, and so the adjustment uh, there, uh, which is always, is always fun, uh, but but be, be praying, uh, praying there, um, and so uh, Luke 15 11 is where we're going to be and this is a story that is probably uh, well known uh, it's it's one of my favorite stories uh, in the scriptures especially in the Gospels uh, to be able to tell and just some of uh, as things unfold and happen in this story man just just brings me uh, joy and thankfulness uh, just in my own life uh, and and it just it reminds me of the goodness Uh, of our father and so I just I love it too because it just reveals so much of God's heart it it just shows us God's heart and what he's like and his desire and his care for and love for Uh, and so uh, I just just absolutely love that especially as it pertains to the lost world but he doesn't just stop there with showing his love and mercy to the lost world as it even shows his love and mercy toward uh, the religious in this day and even in our day. And so just, I believe the, it just hits both sides of the spectrum. Those that you would think have no chance and those who maybe think that they are in and have the chance and they've missed what that looks like and even means. And so it just, it, it hits and falls everywhere as it reveals uh, God's heart. And so what we're going to look at is, is a parable, and as we've talked about in the past, a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is going to tell a story that would be familiar in this day, and as he tells this story, uh, just be looking for, because there's characters in this story that's going to be very relatable, that's going to be uh, kind of a driving force to reveal even more of what's really happening under the surface of, of this story. And so uh, that's what he's doing here. And that's what we're going to be looking at in Luke 15, a, a parable, but it's a parable that's going to just, just pierce the heart. It's a parable that's going to get the attention uh, really, really quick of the listeners of this day, and I believe uh, even the listeners here in this room, as it reveals the heart and the mission of God all the more, all the more. So, so let, let's do that. Let's look at uh, Luke 15. We'll get to 11 in a second, but just to kind of uh, set up what's happening here in the story, Luke 15, 1, because context is key, right? Uh, w- w- what it in this day uh, is, is what it means. And so that relates to us as well. We can draw application from that. Uh, but I believe it's very, very important that we get an understanding of who Jesus is talking to here and what he's, what he's trying to relay to them. So Luke 15, one says this. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. So what that lets us know is this is the audience. This isn't the parable yet, but this is the audience that happens to be around, the, the group of people that happen to be around, and I just uh, absolutely love this, and I always in my Bible like to highlight or underline or, or circle this because it just, it, it, just, it, it just sticks out to me so much. Tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, the the bad of the, the day is drawing near to the holy of holies. You know what I'm saying? Like like to the to the living son of God. They are drawn to, they are attracted to. Why? To hear him. Uh, they want to know what he has to say. They want to uh, see what he's going to do. There, there's something about the lost world that is just drawn to Jesus. That, that just wants to be around him. That wants to... to hear and see. Why? Because of the way he lived, the way that he proclaimed the things that he did uh, uh, was in perfect alignment always with the heart of the Father. And I guess the thing that I would push for us, I would push for me here is that, is that the world should be drawn to us. Why? By our differences. Is, is that not how it works? Like, like if there is something crazy to be seen, will not everybody jump in their car and drive for miles to get to I just believe that should be a picture of us as the church because the way we live, the way that we act, the way that we interact, everything that we do about us is of that of a peculiar type of people. And so there should be an attraction to the world to see what in the heck is going on. Why do they act like that? Why do they talk like that? Why do they do that? Why do they respond that way? There, There should be the questioning and the drawing, and you see this over and over with Jesus, especially with those that are from God and that's what we see happening here so that's the first set of people we see in the story the second set here uh, and the Pharisees and grumble so, so they're the religious of the day and they're they're grumbling that's what religious are known for right it appears but they they all they the religious gather there and they're grumbling and this is what they're saying they're saying uh, this man receives sinners and with them thieves sinners and eats with them Not that he participates with them in their sin. I saw saw a little thing this week that even said that, that that Jesus was notorious for being around lost folk and the world and the bad of the bad, but he never partook and participated with them in their sin. And that's what we see here. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Well, how are you going to reach them unless you're around them, right? How are you going to get to know and engage unless that you are in and near to? but you never see Jesus partaking in. You never see Jesus uh, uh, giving the approval of. And so what I would press us here is this, is if the church looks nice, neat, and clean, then are we really doing what God wants? Because the reality is this, is that the gathering even here this morning should be all across the spectrum of maturity as it pertains to Christ. There should be some that's just freshly saved. There should be some uh, that's been uh, saved for a little while. There should be some that's been saved for a long while. And, and hear me, just because you've been saved for a long while does not equate to maturity in Jesus. That, 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 just because you can gather in a service on 10 o'clock on a Sunday and it's raining, so I'll give you a little extra credit there, uh, nasty out there. So just because you can come in the rainy Sundays doesn't equate to maturity necessarily necessarily. And so what I would press us here is, I mean, this, this should be a picture of what the church looks like all over the spectrum because of the way that we've lived our lives, that we've been sold out for the cause of the cross. That, that should draw and attract the lost world in some way and even maybe irritate the religious. Even irritate the religious because we're not doing it like we used to do it or we're not doing like a tradition would say to do it or we're not doing it how uh, Mamie and Papaw did it. I mean, I, I don't know. But the thing of the matter is this, the fact of the matter is this, is that the message never changes, the methods change. Message never. The gospel, just as they said earlier, the, the one that we gather for is Jesus. That message will never change. Now how we do that may change a little bit, but the message will never change. So, so, so look here real fast with me as we, as we kind of break down this, this intended audience here. The, the first one, the tax collectors and sinners, the, the younger brothers in the this story. This is, this is who it's going to relate to. The, the younger brother is going to be that of the tax collectors and sinners. And so uh, they didn't observe the law. They could care less really about the law or the rules of the day, uh, ser- being ceremonially pure, those type of things. They, they could care less. Uh, they would be more characterized as while living, uh, rebellious, sinners. I mean, that's what it says right there, all of those type of things. So they, they didn't care. They were lost and they lived like it. Didn't matter. They were going to do their own thing, march to the beat of their own drum. Uh, they didn't want rules and regulations. They wanted to be free, so they thought that that's how they were going to live. And then the other uh, group here is the Pharisees and the teachers of uh, the law, which would be linked to brother in this story. Uh, those who held to uh, morality and, and some of their upbringing. They, they, they knew about the law. They, they, they worshiped and they, they prayed. They, they did those type of things, those outward type of things. So m- Maybe their heart wasn't present in uh, what they were doing, in their actions. But, th- but that's who uh, the, the two audiences that Jesus is talking to. And you'll see in this story, go ahead and just um, uh, break it to you. That's who's going to be linked up as these brothers. So, so when you see the brothers in the story or the in this story of the father that's just kind of given away the surprise to us there that's who they are and so this morning this is what we're going to do this is going to be the driving force behind everything that we talk about we're going to look at the two struggles of these brothers all the while we see the heart of the father in pursuit we're going to see the heart of the father in pursuit. So, i'm going to ask you to join me as we pray and then we'll jump in father help us this morning from you father help us this morning to take inventory We've got to take inventory of our heart Father, Father, motive matters. While we do what we do, Father God, even while we've gathered in this place this morning, if it's for any other reason other than for your glory, God, then we've gathered in vain. So God, may our heart, may our desire, may our longing not be that of the religious elite, but of those that are desperately pursuing, desperately pursuing you. So Father, reveal this morning things that we need to hear, things that we need to know. God, convict us, draw us, do a work in us. Father, so great that we leave this place never to be the same. Oh, whether that be in salvation for the lost in this room, Father, or for those of us that may be struggling with sin, Father, whatever it may be, God, may you do work in this place for your glory, for your name. Then we pray, amen, amen. So, so, right out the gate, the first brother, tax collector, and sinners. This is what the scriptures say, Luke fifteen eleven, and he said, "This is telling the story. This is a story following up from uh, uh, one of a lady who lost a coin and tore, tore her house upside down to find the coin, and she celebrated and rejoiced when she found it. Uh, the other story is a follow up from uh, uh, the the one sheep that ran. On Jesus goes and he gets, leaves the ninety nine, and he goes after the one, and he gets the one, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it back, and they they celebrate and they rejoice, and then." this story here in Luke 15 11, and this is what he says he says there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of that is coming to me and he divided his property between them so, so this is this is kind of a crazy story coming from verse two to get to this one this, this is a crazy story the, the crowd would have went nuts here I, I mean what he's asking for is his inheritance and when does someone get their inheritance? The father's estate is only divided up and divvied out what when he dies, when he is gone. So what this is is a huge sign of, of disrespect. And what the, the younger son here is saying is, is I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I want what you can give me, what I, what I think I deserve, what I should have, but I don't want it attached with you. In essence, what the son is saying is, is you're dead to me. This relationship is over, it's severed, I want nothing to do with it, uh, uh, you're done. I could care less. Uh, so so the, the religious elite there of that day, the Pharisees and, and those folk there, uh, they would be going crazy at this. All the while the, the tax collectors and sinners would be like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Rebellious, I love it. Way to go, younger brother. I mean, I could just imagine what their heart would be like, what would be happening here in this day as he tells this story. And I think the sad part is, is man, how the church can relate to this. The church can relate to this in the sense of, okay, Jesus, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can I get out of uh, being here today or being yours or saying that I'm a Christian or, or serving in this department or giving of, of this? What, what, what do I get in return for it? And it's it's a heartbreaking reality that that, that so, so many serve and follow Jesus for what he can do for them instead of just having Jesus, instead of just having the Father and walking relationally with him. So, So this would mean that the relationship with the Father is over. He's tired of it. He wants nothing to do with it. And he moves on, just give me what is due to me. Verse 13, he goes on, and this is how the story continues. He says, not, not many days later, the younger son gathers all that he has. So all the estate that was given to him, divvied out to him. He gathers all of that, and he takes a journey into a far country, and there he squanders his property in reckless living. So he wastes it, and he lives it up. It's like, I, it's, I, have you ever like read the statistics of the people that won the lottery? I mean, it's, and it's crazy. The amount of people who win the lottery that, that, that end up going broke. I mean, you're, I mean, and, and even statistically, have you, like, read, like, like these athletes that, that get all this money and these million-dollar contracts, how, how quickly after their career's over, I mean, they, they are broke. I mean, like, Beanie Weenie broke. I mean, like, like, Ramen Noodle broke. I mean, have nothing, nothing. I mean, I mean, it's crazy, so, so he's in, in that place. He, he squanders his, but he does it because he's living foolishly, because he's living crazy, because he's, he's fulfilling the desires of the flesh and living however he wants to, spending it on whatever he wants to spend it on, and we'll find out later in the story what he really does with that money, which is not a good thing. And so verse 14 says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. How convenient, Right? We're going to have some fun. We're going to do what we're going to do. I'm broke. Dang, it gets even worse. And I just have followed the Lord long enough, and I've seen in my life as well just as in, 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 in the world that sometimes God will allow and use a debilitating moment to get our, deten- get our attention. God will allow and use a debilitating moment to get our attention, right? Uh, life's good he's focused on himself everything's going great he's living it up doing doing whatever he wants to do he, he blows through his money now famine hits Why? because he's wasted everything on himself wasted everything on himself and church the reality is this we were created for so much more uh, life is not about self-pleasure uh, life is not about self-preservation created for so much more stuff than self-indulgence It's it's not about here, but it's about the eternal. That's what it's about. And he's wasted everything. Man, what a life that's wasted that lives like that. Me, 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 my, 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 my. What can I get? What can I get? What should I have? I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. Man, that's a life that's wasted. So what we see here in the story is he's in a desperate spot. So what does he do? He tries to figure things out, right? Whenever, whenever you're in a, uh, a debilitating moment or you're in a difficult spot, you try to figure things out. And so that's what he does. He, he goes to work. Look at verse 15. So he went and he hired himself uh, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. All right, so so he's, he, he's killed off his dad. He wants nothing to do with his dad. That relationship is dead. So what does he do? He, he finds a fill-in dad. He finds somebody that can, that can fill into that, into that spot, that can help him out, that, can, that he can do something with. Because for him, death is imminent if he doesn't do something. You've got to have food to, eat, to, to survive. You've got to eat to survive. And so he joins himself with someone else. And the thing you've got to understand in this context, in this story, in, in, in the history of, of this day, that, that feeding pigs is a horrific, horrific thing to do. They're unclean animals, they're dirty, they're, they're nasty, and so this would have defiled the younger son even more. It made it even worse for him and, and more horrific for him to do such a thing. Hey, but, but when you're in a desperate time, you, you do crazy things. And so that's what he does, verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swan ate no one gave him anything. He's so desperate that he is at the place where to even just eat what he picks, uh, that, that, that he, he's willing to, to, to just jump in there and to, just to eat and to, 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 divide, to try to, uh, to, try to uh, curb those, those hunger pains. And so as I read this story, I just always think of this, like, where are the ones that helped him blow the money? Uh, where are the ones that were there with him while he was living it up, while he was having a big time, while he was having a go at it? Well, why have they deserted him in his time of need? Uh, we're just living the way that he was living, right? Hey, it's what we can get out of this relationship. It's what, it's what he can do for us in those moments. So just a little life lesson. Those that are so quick to encourage and ag on are also quick to abandon and leave you uh, uh, high and dry when the consequences come. When the consequences come. And so as I read this, as I think about this, as I reflect on this, I, I would even be at the place where I would argue that this is probably not a bad place to be. Alone and desperate. Because when we're alone and desperate, now God's got our full undivided attention, doesn't He? When when we're uncomfortable, when things are difficult, when there's struggle, whenever we've come to the, the end of our rope, whatever it may be, is a great place for us to finally be able to hear God's voice, for us to finally be in tune with what God wants to do. And so, one of God's greatest tools is misery. I mean, who likes to be miserable? I, I, I can't think of anyone. Now, now, there's people that appear to enjoy misery, but I don't think at the end of the day they really like it. And, and so, I, I don't know about you, but, but me, whenever I get to this place or whenever I'm uh, doing things that I shouldn't or living in a way that's contrary to, and, and God allows me to get to this place of, of just being miserable in the moment, and now, now he's got my attention. Now I'm listening because I want to get out of it. possible. I, I don't like being in that state. And so it seems that this is the place God allows people to arrive to so he can get their attention fully, right? The, the younger son here had been self-reliant, 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 me, 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 me. And now he's got nowhere to go. Not even him can help himself. But, but, but what does he do? Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, some renderings say came to his senses, But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So he reminisces and he thinks back to the day, thinks back to the day of where he had come from. And even those that were hired on with his dad, under his dad, working for his dad, they had enough to eat and to feed on, but he doesn't. So that desperate moment got him to that place of coming to himself and coming to his senses and realizing that he needs to do something different than he's done already. Change some things, change some factors, figure out some things, look inwardly, whatever the case is here, be be in tune with what God wants to do, be uh, turned to God. That's what we see happen here. Look, Look as the story unfolds, verse 18. So this is what he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father i have sinned against heaven and before you and then look at verse 19 i am no longer worthy to be called your son just treat me as one of your hired servants him coming to himself leads to a place of repentance that's what we see here I Man, he's desperate, he is broken, he has no other hope, nowhere else to go. He, he's tried to find a fill-in dad to, to suffice, to kind of get him through so he could try to figure things out, to feed him, to help him survive. That doesn't even work, and so what does he do? Uh, he's in a moment of desperation and brokenness, and he turns. Turns to what? Turns to the Father. This is what I'm going to do. And so he rehearses what he's going to do. He's come to his senses, and he's going to run to the Father, to the only one who can, who, who can hopefully fix the mess that he made man. is that not a picture of God is that not a picture of God Man, I, I just I, I liken it to whenever we try to fix our own problems and our own messes I've got uh, really I've got a 10 a 6 and a two and a half and really none of them are good at this yet and they're all boys so I don't know if they'll ever be good at this but this is just a great illustration here in this moment that when we try to fix our messes it's like me giving my two and a half year old a paper towel to clean up his, his mess that he just made uh, he just smears it around everywhere and makes it bigger and bigger And then he thinks he's really done something great with it, and he's like, here, dad, dad, with a big old smile on his face, and the mess is like three times bigger than it was when we began. And so what do I do? I step in, and I clean it up, and I wash him off, and we get things ready, and we go. It's the same thing with my six-year-old. Same thing with my 10-year-old. You you know what the funny thing is? It's the same thing with us. Yeah. Yeah, at, At 38, I'm no different. Whenever I try to clean up the mess that I've made, instead of running to God, and saying, look, I blew it, I messed up, I've done this, I'm sorry, help me. I'm sorry, just help me. And so that's what he's gonna do. That's what's about to happen. He can't fix or make right what's, well, in the situation and circumstance that he's in, so he's gonna run to the one who can. And, and church, realizes reality is this, everyone who's come to the Father's come through this way. Has come this way. Through the realization that we are sinful and that we're lost and that we're in need and that we can't clean up the mess that we've made. Only God can do that. Only God can save us and rescue us. And so verse 20, here we go, verse 20. And so he arose and he came to his father. It's for more than just stuff now. It's out of desperation. It's, it, this is life or death that he's talking about. This is life and death. And mean, as Jesus is telling the story, think of the tax collectors and sinners, how they're viewed in the world. Uh, how, they're, how they're observed, the, the, the hatred toward them. I mean, people did not like tax collectors in that day. I mean, they were crooked, they were manipulative, they were deceitful. I mean, they, they were thieves. They, they, would, they would up the chart of your taxes so they could pocket some before they turned it over. Uh, I mean, I mean they, they were just not nice, good people. Sinners, same thing. And so as Jesus telling the story, that's the heart he's trying to get to. The loss of the lost in the day. So he's in a desperate situation. Death is imminent. Verse 20 as he continues. But, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. This dad whose son looked him in the eyes said, you're worthless. I wish you were dead. Just give me what I deserve. I don't want your last name. I want nothing to do with you. Give me what's mine. And the dad does it and he runs off and he wastes it all, loses it all, comes back. And in that moment, the dad sees him from a distance. And he runs to his boy and he embraces him and he kisses him. And, church, this is who the father in the story is it's God. It's God. this is is an amazing picture of the heart of our God, is it not? An amazing picture of the nature and character of our God. Because you've got to understand something. This, This is crazy. This is. A story like this, a dad that would do this, this doesn't happen in this day. Men don't run. Men don't display intimacy in this way. They don't. Do this. And I can imagine as he tells this story, those tax collectors and those sinners who are present hearing this, man what God's doing in their heart as a result of it. I mean, I could just imagine in their mind. I mean, I don't know if it gets much worse than this to look at your dad in the eyes and say, You're dead to me, I want nothing to do with you. Just give me your stuff. If my boy said that to me, I would give him some stuff like a knock upside the head to begin with in the name of Jesus with the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And I think we can probably find some scripture somewhere to embrace, I mean, to uh, back that up. Embrace me. Yeah, the Lord would embrace me, all right. But, but, man, but man, just imagine in the heart of the lost of the lost that day how horrific this story is and what the dad does. And then look at what happens here, and the son says to him, Father, he goes into his rehearsed speech, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I would imagine what's about to happen next is something that the son really wasn't braced for or ready for. I would say right now, even in this moment, he's probably a little startled, a little uh, uh, taken back by what's happened, the fact that the dad would, would, would run to him, would embrace him like that, would, would, would kiss him like that. It's, it's probably like, like you're thinking maybe, maybe the kiss of death is coming, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he's trying to get to me quicker to pound on, I don't know what he's gonna do. And so he goes into that rehearsed speech and then look at verse 22, some of the, the, the sweetest scriptures that, that we can read here. But the father said to his servants, The dad cuts him off. I mean, there was more to the rehearsed speech that we just looked at a few verses ago. And the dad cuts him off. He he stops it. He, He quiets him down, and he looks at his servants, and he says to them, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Church, the robe was reserved for the Christ of Honor. This is the scum and trash that left us. Look at what God... And restoring the boy. Uh, look I at mean, the, what the, the guest of honor gets the robe, and he says, Put on the ring on his hand. This is a symbol of authority. To get the ring placed upon your finger uh, uh, by the man of the house there is a symbol of authority. He says, And put sandals on his feet. See, sandals were not worn by slaves, the sandals were not worn by hired servants. And what this does is it signifies his full restoration into sonship. That's what the dad does. And my boy comes running. I jump and I go after and I fall on him and I embrace him and I love on him. And he starts in this, this rehearsed speech that he's going to give. And I can imagine the nerves that went into that. I can imagine the, the fear that came with that. And then here's dad being crazy. I mean, he just he on me, he kisses me, he gives me a ring, he puts a robe on me, he gives me sandals. He, I, I'm his boy again. I'm his boy again. And if, and if the story would have stopped there, it would have been amazing. But it goes further in verse 23, and he says, bring the fatted calf here and let's kill it, and let's, let us eat and be merry. See, see, this fatted calf was reserved for only the most special of celebrations. And in the dad's heart, Nothing more special than your boy coming back home. Because see, as he walked away to go live the way he wanted to live, yeah, you're saying that you're dead to me, but what that means to them is that you're dead to them. And the dad says, no, he's not. He is alive, and he is well, and he is my boy. I just believe this is an illustration and a picture of God showing how big of a deal salvation is. I mean, there is no one too far gone. No one ever too far gone out of the reach of God's hand and mercy and grace. And that's what this is a picture of. That's what this is a picture of. I mean, yeah, yeah, You're dead to me, Dad, but, but, but that would mean he's dead to them. Never expected to return again. I mean, you, you couldn't show yourself back at home after that. But in desperate moments, he comes back and then listen to the verbiage here in verse 24. For this my son was dead, past tense, and is alive again. He was lost, past tense, and is found, and they began to be merry. Is this not a picture of our God? When the lost of the lost comes home, is saved, is rescued, is redeemed. So the takeaway here. Man, it was a plea for the rebellious younger brothers in the crowd, the sinners and the tax collectors there, to see their great need for the father. See, as Jesus tells this story, he's telling it, but he's telling it uh, with them in mind, with them in his heart. All along, he's the father. He's, he's the dad that, that's in the story being portrayed. And what he's saying is, man, my arms are open. I've created you, I have made you, I want you, I want relationship, I want you to know that you can have all of this. I I know what society says, I know what the day says, I know what the culture says, I, I know what people around you say, what they think of you, but you need to know this is what you can have. This is what you have access to. And it was a plea for those rebellious to turn and to come to Jesus. And church, that's what we've been commissioned with. That's the story. That's the story we get to tell. Why? Because for us in this room, it's our story. I don't care how rebellious your rebellion was or how wicked your wicked sinfulness was, but the thing that we've got to remember, us apart from Christ, is horrific. And, and, if, and if you're one that, that's, uh, that's not really sin like the bad sin, so you think, you need to remember something. Your little sin, put Jesus on the cross to die put Jesus on the cross to die, and we as a church have the great honor and privilege of sharing this story and going after the worst of the worst, inviting and having dinner with the worst of the worst, so that we can show and model mercy and grace like Jesus does, which brings us to the second brother in this story, the Pharisees and the scribes. So, so, so you've got the one spectrum of the rebellious sinners, tax collectors. Uh, now you've got, uh, on the other spectrum, uh, the, the religious of the day. So verse 25 says this, Now his older son was in this world, and as, as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard, he heard music and dancing. Uh, so there, that celebration of, of the younger son, I mean, it's, it's, it's getting cranked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I, mean, it's, I mean, I can imagine strobe lights, fog machines. I mean, it's like, probably a pretty, pretty cool party. Verse 26, and says, and he called for one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. So he wasn't even aware of it yet. And he said to him, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. And so the younger brother would know exactly what that would mean. In this day, in this context and what's happening here, he, he, he would understand exactly what was going on. Because I could imagine, as Jesus told this story, Pharisees and the scribes of the day would not like the fact that those good, defiled, nasty are now in and a part of, and that's what we're going to see unfold in the story here in the second part of it. So he knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. Verse twenty-eight, but but he was angry and would not go in. So so his response to the fact that his brother is back is anger. I mean, he's ticked off. He's, he is mad at the fact that his brother is back and he won't go in. It has nothing to do with it. I, I mean, this is a huge disgrace. I mean, this, this is horrific. I mean, the dad, the poor guy. I, I mean, you, you just get one knucklehead coming back and now the other one's acting like a fool. I, I mean, I mean this, this is horrific. But what we see happening here in the story is that the, the older brother's heart's being exposed. The older brother's heart's being revealed, which is what? Is the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes. It's being exposed. See, his brother was viewed as lost and gone forever. Lost and gone. And didn't need him, had nothing to do with him. And now he's back and he's been restored. And all I can say, church, is this, is that our heart and motives will come to light eventually. And what I know is that God is good and gracious like that. And the, one of the greatest things that he can do is let us get caught in our sin and expose our heart and our motives. Because it's in that moment of being caught that we can either continue to try to cover and run or we can lay ourselves bare before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And let him be the one that cleans us up that makes us right. Let him be the one that does that. And so what, what I've learned is as I've read this, I've looked at this and just lived life. Usually the ones that throw the biggest fits and act the most ridiculous are the ones that pretend to be further along and super religious. And that's what we're seeing here. That's who Jesus is talking to, the Pharisee and the scribes. And so his actions here are in direct rebellion to the Father's decision. In, in essence, he's just like the He's just like the younger brother earlier in the story. That, that you're you're an idiot. What are you doing? I mean, have you lost your mind? You're, you're a fool. Why would you do this? Uh, I mean, his thought process has. Uh, we'll see it's exposed from, from more than what we see here in the moment, but, 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 but this, him doing this, is in essence, is just as rebellious as the first brother in the beginning of the story. And so, what we can learn from this is that anger is a destroyer, anger destroys. And and that's what's happened here. He's had pent-up resentment and anger and hate, and as a result of that, it's showing itself now because anger separates us from friends. It separates us from family. uh, It it separates us uh, from marital bonds. It it separates us from children. It's crushing, and and it can rear its head in all kinds of different forms. See, we think that uh, nasty anger is this murderous rage-type stuff, but I would say it's also the grumbling and the complaining and the cold shoulder and the silence and the distance, I would say that's just as horrific. See, we want peace, we want help, we want respect, we want love, we want control, we want influence, we want safety, and that list could go on and on and on. And so sinful anger, what happens is it appears when when those desires, those expectations, the son knew what he was going to get, the son had been playing the game, the son had been doing all. Stuff that he's supposed to be doing. And when that come in uh, into attack or into question or, or, or it become uh, uh, not where it was, now he's all up in arms. Now he's all up in arms. So when those di- desires and expectations are more important to us than loving God and loving our neighbor, that's when we will let anger and rage get in the way. When we have missed place where our hope goes where we have looked and that can't sustain and hold that the inheritance of the day from his father from the older brother shouldn't have been his all shouldn't have been the thing that he had longed for and wanted more than anything else and so what sinful anger does is it has with it selfishness and prideful motivations That's what it does. It's it's all about me. Again, self-preservation. What can I get? What do I deserve? What should should be coming to me? That's what the older brother's revealing now. He's doing the same thing the younger brother did, just in a different way. And so look at what happens, man. What a dad. What a God we serve. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. There's the father's heart revealed again. Um, I mean, what a dad. What a God. The fact that he would still come after. He, He would still pursue and go i mean this is this fit that he's throwing is just as horrific as the, uh, the the open rebellion of the first boy and so look at verse 29 so he answered and said to his father so the dad comes out pleased with him and the boy engages and this is what he says lo these many years i've been serving you kind of like stacking up his resume for a second like, hey, you, dad you need to know something God, you need to know something I mean, I, I'm, I was saved at 11, and I'm 38 now. I don't know the math right off my head, 20 some years. And I've been, I've been doing this thing, and I need you to do something for me. I need you, I need you to do something. I deserve this. That's what he's doing. That's what the boy's doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing in the day. They knew the law, they knew They knew the word, they knew those things, and they, and they were trying to use that to, uh, to sway God or to uh, um, get God to do something for them. And man, church, how often does a church react like this? Well, dang it, God, I've been coming to church for like six months straight, no missed days. I, I'm just asking for this, and you won't do it. And see, the problem is, is that we expect God to do things he's never promised. That's where the breakdown is. It's not God not doing what he said he's going to do. No, God has done what he said he's going to do. The problem is we don't know what God said that he's going to do, and we expect him to do stuff that he's never said he was going to do. That's where the breakdown happens. I mean, how horrific is this? All these years I've been serving you. And then he goes a little bit deeper, and I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. hmm Dad, I've done everything you've ever told me to do. And I've done just like you said to do it. God, I've done, I mean, I pray. I read my Bible some. Every once in a while I tell somebody about Jesus. Uh, if I cuss, it's not the big ones. I mean, I bless my food. I only did my kids with my weak hand and tell them a Bible verse after. I mean, I've done everything that you've said. Where is he ever said to do that? He said to pursue him, to love him supremely. To come after him. Church, if God never does another thing for us, he's done too much. If he, on our side of things, would appear to never answer another prayer for us, he's already answered more than he's needed to. The the fact that he would even offer salvation to the wicked like us in this room. The the fact that he would, man, what a promise and good God we've got. And so the son goes there, I've never transgressed you. I've been here all this time, and I've always done what you said, and I've never done anything against you. And so what we can learn from this church is this, and, and this is dangerous, dangerous place to be, scary place to be, is that you can avoid Jesus as Savior by always doing the right things with the wrong heart and the wrong motive, and that's called religion. You can do all the right stuff. carry your Bible, tote it to church, bring your cute little church weekend and weekend. Say a little prayer here or there. Have the talk, have the jargon down. You can do all the right stuff with the wrong heart and miss it completely we see happening here with, 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 with the older brother, and that's what scares me to death for the church today, is that this has just become a routine for us, this has just become a game we play, this has just become the stuff that we do, that's what scares me for the heart of my boys, is that they'll see dad be a big bad pastor on the stage, but, but he's, he's not going to back it up with the way that he lives his life at home. And, and, and I try every, which is, is quite often, every opportunity that I have whenever I blow it to let them know, hey, no, D- dad's just trying to pursue Jesus like they are, and dad was wrong, or dad, dad should have done this, or dad should have acted this way, or should have reacted this way. I, I try to own that because I, I don't want to be religious. I, I, I want to be religious like the scripture says, to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress. I want to do that, but, but I don't want to be this kind of religious where, where I just go through the routine and I just do the stuff. Well, I read my Bible this morning because I did that. Check. I, uh, I said a prayer at lunch today because I did that. Check. I said a prayer tonight. I, check. Uh, I called and sent my wife the verse of the day. Check. Or I told her that I loved her. I told my little kids that I loved them. I, I don't want to just do the routine type stuff. I want my heart and my motive to be pure and right and pursuing because what happens is in these moments like this, it brings about these type of actions. It brings about a heart of entitlement and control. Righteousness based on our actions. You are not righteous because of the way that you act. You are righteous because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your heart. And he's made you righteous. That's where your righteousness comes from. I don't care what you said or what you did or how you acted yesterday. Your acting a certain way is not what makes you righteous. It's whether or not you belong to Jesus. See, those people today, these, these Pharisees and these scribes, they astounded themselves with, with what they did. I mean, look at how far along they are. Look at how great they are. Look at uh, the words they know. Look at the things that they say. Look at how they pray. Look at all the stuff that they do. Though their heart wasn't with God. They were just putting on a show. And you can be just as lost as the younger brother in your rebellion. Him doing that as he can, doing all the right things, saying all the right things with the wrong heart and the wrong motive, because in that you can become entitled and you can expect to control God. Now you've got something to barter with him. And I just, the news to tell you, you can't bring anything to God that he already have. Nothing. You have nothing to debate with or to employ him with. So he's been acting the part, doing what was expected in order to get something. And so when something here that he thinks that he's earned and he deserved is taken away, uh, anger rears its head because he's got to get back what he thought he's lost, the, the thing that's most important to him. And the thing is he's forgotten what he really deserves. He's forgotten what he really deserves, which is nothing, absolutely nothing. And then look at the dad's response, man. What, oh, again, man, God it's so good. Verse thirty, but but when this or but when this son of yours, he's, he's back to the back to the younger brother. But this is the brother. Brother says, but but this son of yours came who had devoured your property with what with prostitutes, wild living is what some some scriptures say. You killed the fatty calf for him. Again, he's just trying to build his resume, trying to uh, trying to uh, make himself look even better, look even better. And that's what the religion. Of the, the religious do. My man, man, look at how great, look at how awesome, look at what I'm doing. And then look at the dad's response, look at the father's response. Here it is. This is what's so good. Verse 31, he said to his son Son, you were always with me. All that I have is yours. You want a calf? There it was. You, I mean, you have the authority, you have the position, you have everything that I have was yours. He didn't know what he had the whole time. Which was the father he had access to the dad which brings access to his stuff he had all that the whole time and he didn't even know well because he wasn't there for the right reason he wasn't there with the right motive and the right heart so the the older brother he's not interested in the heart of the father in the relationship side of things That's, that's not what he's interested in his prideful motivation was this it's all about the money it's all about the greed it's all about what the father could give him and he was trying to earn something that his father already offered him. that was already there. So church, you can stop. Stop playing the game. Stop pretending. Stop, stop trying to uh, uh, to, to do something that you're not. And, and I believe that that does more harm in the world than, than the opposite. Because everybody knows. Everybody knows that that cute little clip on Facebook or Instagram or social media, that that's not the truth and that's not the real, uh, the real happening. I mean, there is a lot more behind that. And if you don't believe me, next time we have family pictures, I will invite you to come and, and, because there's a lot of repentance that takes place after those days in the Miller house. I mean, he was trying to earn something that was there. And the dad says, it was right that we should be merry and be glad for your brother was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. I mean, again, Celebration. Celebration for the lost. The older brother's lost and they don't even know he's lost. The Pharisees and the scribes think that there's something that they're not. And it's a horrific, horrific state. Church, don't buy into that. Don't think that you're something. You're not. I mean, check your heart. Check your motive often. Why? Why do you do what you do? Why, why do you gather here? Why are you a part of, of God in, in, in general? Why? Why? So the takeaway is this, is that you can avoid Jesus as Savior by always doing the right things with the wrong heart and motive. You can avoid Jesus as Savior by always doing the right things with the wrong heart and the wrong motive. Always. Because with it brings a heart of entitlement. Righteousness based on our actions. Acting the part, doing what's expected. But the motive and the reason behind it is for selfish gain and not for the glorification of God and his great name. So as the band comes back up, And what a story here of love and forgiveness. What a crazy story to be told in this day. of people who are living in this way. And Jesus does it as an invitation to come in and to be a part. They could relate so well with the story of the brothers. Sinners and tax collectors as the younger brother, the Pharisees and the scribes, that of the older brother. Both brothers used the Father in different ways to get things on which their heart was fixed. The stuff that they could get, that's what they wanted, not the relationship with the Father. That's what's most important. Relationship with the Father. And what Jesus does in those moments, is still steps in and says, hey, come on. What are you doing? Hey, you can pretend and try all you want to, but... It, if nobody else sees it, I see it. And if your motive in your heart is not for me and my glory and my great name, it's just in vain. And the thing I love in this story is the fact that Jesus would just tell the truth about themselves. I, I mean, he doesn't doctor it up. He doesn't dumb it down. He just says, look, and he tells the story. All the while to try to woo them and draw them in. So, church, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're here and you're lost and you need a savior, and maybe you you align yourselves with that of the the tax collector and sinners. And I mean, it, I just don't know. I'm here to tell you, you can. You can, that that's a story. That's a story directed right at. If you're here, maybe you have went to church your whole life, or you've. You've pretended or you've, uh, you've done the right thing, well, whatever, and you, you've submitted and put your faith and trust in him and got your righteousness from him. I don't care how many times you read the Bible last week. I don't care how many devotions you had. I don't care uh, what version you read from. I don't, I don't care. I, I don't care about that. I mean, there should be things in our life that add up and point to and show, but, but I don't have to brag about it. You don't have to brag about it. You don't have to make it big because God knows. He's aware. He's aware. And you don't have to you don't have to brag about that because righteousness doesn't come from how many times you read the scriptures uh, the, the pharisees in this day like, like they they had the whole torah memorized the whole book of law memorized genesis they had all of that memorized i i would probably venture at best we may we may get we may get a handful ten but if you start taking those verses like John 3:16 out and Jesus wept out, and I mean so, so for us to stack up against that kind of out, and they were righteous, all the stuff that they knew would make him righteous, because they didn't know the one that could make them. They just knew about him. And so I don't know if you're here this morning, maybe that's your story. and you can be made whole in him. you can quit pretending and trying. And man, how it works so much better when you do that. It is tiring and it's aggravating and it's frustrating when you try to earn it and do it all on your own. But man, when I realize that I've been invited in and I get to, I don't have to. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to serve you. I don't have to say the right things. I don't have to act the right way. No, I've been invited in and I get to. And I don't know in my mind and my heart why I would want to do it a different way. Because the different way doesn't work. The different way is tiring, the different way is is aggravating. No, no, I get to why because Jesus lives in me and as he lives in me, he's shaping me and molding me and transforming me. And so then the natural response from my is gonna be that of him. I I don't have to, but I get to because I've been invited in as a son. So I, again, I don't, I don't know where you're at this moment. I don't know if you're here and you're lost. I don't know if you're here and you've been pretending. I don't know if you're here and you're just struggling. Whatever the case may be, the altar is open. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to love when you Jimmy's here. I'm here. Uh, whatever we could do, any questions about what it means uh, to be a follower of Jesus and to, and to uh, not just play the game, but to be fully in what that means and looks like through faith and relationship with Jesus. We'd love to talk more. Or if you just want to come pray, whatever you do, you be obedient this time as the Father woos and draws. As the Father has told an amazing story this morning in this place of the rebellious and the religious and how He still has desire to pursue and come after and rescue. How far gone someone looks or how in someone looks. He desires and He loves and He wants and He comes after. Father, help us hear that this morning. Help us submit to that. Help us to follow after You. Father, there'll be a heart here that don't know His Lord. Whether that's they've just never wanted to and could care less, Father, or if that's a heart that's been playing the game this whole time, their entire life, however long, Father, that you would just open and reveal, Father, because I'll tell you one thing: that's going to happen, regardless of how lost we may think they've been or how saved we may think they've been, and their Father, the church is going to celebrate one thing coming to you. So, Father, move in this time. Then we pray.